Welcome to The Earth Wants You. I'm Reverend Billy, and I'm here with our co-host, Savitri D. Savitri, hello. Hi. This is a production of the Church of Stop Shopping here in New York City. Hello out there to the mega church. We're thinking about ecofeminism today. We're thinking about the earth. We're definitely operating in uh, with uh, one wall of one, whatever room we're in uh, has broadcast upon it the uh, embarrassing, cruel, uh, terrible youth of this incipient Supreme Court justice, Brett Kavanaugh. And the, uh, as the accusations come in, there's a, uh, uh, Savitri, there's a, a way that it's connecting to each and every one of us. Absolutely. Brett Kavanaugh, you know, will, will soon decide the fate of many people as a Supreme Court justice if he is uh, confirmed in that role. And uh, his past matters. His decisions matter. His character matters. Uh, he's appointed for life. And he will, s- he will sway the court one, one direction or, uh, or another. And women, the half of us out here who are women, <laughs> I think we need to say no. Um, and I think that it is connected to other things. Obviously, the oppression of women is deeply and intimately connected to the oppression of the earth, to the oppression of other animals, to anything that uh, occupies that second tier in the, the power structure that has so long been held by, by men. And, and even, of course, some women acting in that male role. So White, white men. Uh, yes, white men, especially white men. Um, white putatively. Heterosexual men. Yes. So we operate inside that uh, complex view, I think, of, of uh, ecology and feminism. An um, interesting thing has happened. The, the, the Me Too movement is an accumulation of stories, like the stories that are now coming towards Judge Kavanaugh. And isn't it interesting that these thousands of stories have connected up and they have this title, which is unlike a title of any social revolution we've ever heard of, Me Too. It's Hashtag so, Me Too. Well, it's <laughs> fascinating because as a, as a, a woman and as a, a sister and as someone who grew up in a community of women and someone who's always had a large network of women around me, I'm so grateful for that. Um, these aren't new stories to any of us. We all know this. If you ask any woman, she can tell you a story. It, any woman. I've never met a woman who has doesn't have some story at some level in this um, oppressive, oppressive kind of regime of sexual power. Um, I've never met a woman who doesn't have a story from some part of her life. And um, it's coming to light now uh, and it's becoming unacceptable now. And I'm, I'm really glad because it's, it's too much. It's just too it's much. It's so interesting that it's that it's happening now, it's uh, and it's interesting that these c- these stories are connecting up and have this momentum, after after decades and centuries of those stories not getting past uh, family families not getting in, in many cases just not getting out of the 
out of the private, lonely interior of, of a woman alone. Well, you remember it was about two years ago that, that flash news came in that Donald Trump, that the tape of him in that van talking about, you know, grabbing women. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really two years of momentum. It's, and it's not all of a sudden, of course, you know, we didn't have time to not elect him. <laughs> Two well, weeks later, or whatever it Harvey was. Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby. There was just a. Today, just, Bill Cosby will be sentenced, and I hope he spends many, many years and dies in jail. I can say that, although I don't wish anyone to go to jail, and I wish we had a better system. I still think hundreds of women <laughs> must add up to a few years in jail, right? <laughs> well, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It's, it does at some point need forgiveness and humor. But uh, yeah, but not right this now, point. now, not at this point. We're not at that point. Yet. We're not at this point. We're, we're we're still unveiling what has been going on. So today, we're going to have some women come on and tell their stories, and we're going to practice listening, listeners. The the uh, the relationship of of the key subject, which is the Earth, the relationship of the Earth to this issue of ecofeminism, to the issue of, of the male suppression of the female, of the, uh, how, it, how it opens up and invites all the issues, all the, all the unequal power relationships and the cruelty that results therefrom. Um, we, have, uh, we have an environmental movement that needs to make needs to open up to all issues um, it is still run by straight white men <laughs> in, 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 in most cases Greenpeace is not but uh, most of them are and that that idea that we ha that we have tremendous power when we have a single issue um, is is just something we just glimpse once in a while. The, the phrase ecofeminism is um, about as close as we get to it at the present time, but that, that, that glimpse of uh, that unity, uh, to feel that for just a moment, uh, suddenly you, you don't feel overwhelmed anymore by Trump and the racism and sexism and the wall and all these things that have been happening us, to us over the last two years, all of a sudden you do feel like we can do this. Let's go to, uh, let's go to some music. Alice Coltrane.
now the news from the natural world. Savitri D. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. The weed killer glyphosate decreases microorganisms in honeybee guts, and these changes leave them more susceptible to death, according to a new study. Honeybees exposed to levels of glyphosate commonly found in the environment had decreased amounts of microbiota in their gut. Honeybees' health is directly tied to the helpful organisms in their gut. These microbiota help the bees' metabolism, weight gain, and immune system. At least a third of the human food supply relies on pollinators, and glyphosate is the world's most heavily used herbicide. More than 3.5 billion pounds have been applied in the U.S. alone over the past four decades, two-thirds of which were applied over the past decade. Thousands of scientists joined on Monday to accuse the Trump administration of trying to erode the Endangered Species Act in favor of commercial interests with a plan to revamp regulations that have formed a bedrock of U.S. wildlife protection for over 40 years. The extraordinary critique of the administration's proposal came in an open letter addressed to Interior Secretary Ryan Zink from three associations representing 9,000 professional biologists. A separate letter, similarly condemning revisions proposed to endangered species policies, was signed by 273 leading university scientists from around the country. The French government wants the ship Aquarius II to take the migrants picked up off the coast of Libya to the nearest safe port, rather than continue its journey to the southern French port of Marseille. The ship, run by SOS Mediterranean and Medicine Sans Frontieres, has 58 migrants on board. Currently near the Libyan coast, it is the last private rescue vessel operating along the trafficking route in the central Mediterranean. Sparrows in the Australian mining towns of Broken Hill and Mount Isa have adapted to avoid the uptake of lead, according to a new genetic study of the birds. It was said that the adaptation was essential to the sparrow's survival in the towns, which have high lead levels from historic and ongoing mining practices. New research shows that an ancient retrovirus, HK2, is more frequently found in drug addicts' genome and thus is significantly associated with addiction. Ancient retrovirus causing addictive personality disorder. In Southern California's Joshua Tree National Park, managers are concerned that climate change could eventually make the park too warm for the park's namesake Joshua trees. This form of yucca was spread around the southwest in the dung of giant sloth that went extinct 13,000 years ago and have adapted to certain elevations and temperatures. While it might be able to survive at higher elevations outside the park, that would require human intervention to disperse seeds as the extinct sloth once did so easily. Nepal has taken great (laughs) strides towards saving tigers from extinction by nearly doubling its population of the big cats in the space of just nine years. Officials announced that the tiny Asian nation now has an estimated 235 wild tigers, up from 121 in 2009. 
By studying the genome of a kind of octopus not known for its friendliness toward its peers, then testing its behavioral reaction to a popular mood-altering drug called MDMA, or ecstasy. I'm sure it has other names. <laughs> Scientists say they have found preliminary evidence of an evolutionary link between the social behaviors of the sea creature... That's the octopus, in case you forgot, and humans, species separated by 500 million years on the evolutionary tree. The brains of octopuses are more similar to those of snails than humans, but there are well-known similarities. They are clever creatures. They can trick prey to come into their clutches, and there is some evidence they also learn by observation and have episodic memory. Most octopus are asocial animals and avoid others, including other octopuses. However, after being given MDMA, the octopus, like humans, tended to hug a lot. They put their mouth parts on the cage and reached for each other, very similar to how humans react to MDMA. They touch each other frequently. Amen. Bringing back memories here. Hugging octopus. Mm. Rock and roll concerts. Don't hug me, octopus. A federal judge on Monday ordered Endangered Species Act protections restored to grizzly bears in and around Yellowstone National Park, halting plans for the first licensed trophy hunts of the region's grizzlies in more than 40 years. Scientists have discovered molecules of fat in an ancient fossil to reveal the earliest confirmed animal in the geological record that lived on Earth 558 million years ago. Just 58 million years before octopus and humans diverged on that tree. A team has developed ultra-thin, transparent, and conductive hybrid nanomembranes with nanoscale thickness consisting of an orthogonal silver nanowire array embedded in a polymer matrix. What language are you speaking? Okay, I'm telling you there is now a nanoskin that can work as a loudspeaker. Okay, a, a, a single molecule thick nanoskin that can project sound Amen. and can be attached to almost anything that produces sound. Like your arm, for instance. The researchers uh, who did this also introduced a similar device that acts as a microphone, which can be connected to any device. Global waste is set to swell to 3.4 billion tons by 2050 from around 2 billion tons in 2016, with the greatest increase projected to be generated in Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Failure to collect and properly treat solid waste contributes to flooding, air pollution, and public health issues such as respiratory ailments, diarrhea, and dengue fever. The report considers the solid waste problem to be an urban issue, noting that waste generation tends to be much lower in rural areas. In particular, rural residents tend to be poorer, purchase fewer store-bought items with less packaging, and they tend to have higher levels of reuse and recycling. Amen. The urban population boom of the past decades has been dramatic, with more than 50% of the world now living in cities. By 2050, as many people will live in cities as the population of the whole world was in 2000. The report from mm. the World Bank tells us this. In most cities, it says the quickest way to reduce waste volumes is to reduce economic activity. Don't go to Starbucks. Too much trash. Uh -huh. Marine ecologists have described a bright red species of coral from Panama that's new to science. The researchers found the coral growing at a depth of 45 to 50 meters. Red coral. An Indonesian teenager has survived 49 days adrift at sea in a fishing hut before he was rescued by a Panamanian flagged vessel and returned home. 
Aldi Adeline, a 19-year-old, worked as a lamp keeper on a floating fish trap located 125 kilometers out to sea. The wooden hut, uh, the, the rope snapped, and off he went. Uh, and he survived by catching fish, burning wood from his hut to cook them, and sipping seawater through his clothing. Yeah. 49 days at sea, poor kid. Welcome back, Aldi. New Zealand Prime Minister Yacinda Ardern has made history as the first female world leader to attend the United Nations General Assembly meeting with her newborn baby in tow. <laughs> this just really tickles She's great. me. She's Ardern great. appeared with her infant daughter at the UN on Monday evening and played with her before giving a speech at the Nelson Mandela Peace Summit. While she spoke, her partner held the three-month-old baby on his lap. Thank you so much, Yacinda, for your leadership. News anchors don't cry. I know, but it's just so great. There she is with her <laughs> newborn baby. And she's You're like, not supposed to start crying in the middle of a news item. It is beautiful. I'm emotional as well because um, the topic your mother, of our show. You're a mother, aren't you? The topic of our show today, listening. How do we listen? How do we listen? What is listening? Uh, here we are in the midst of this flurry of allegations and accusations against Brett Kavanaugh. And, and you know, it seems they come every day for someone now, right? The, the, these allegations and accusations. And, but what are they? They're stories. They're someone's story, right? How do we listen to these stories? How do we hear them? How many people in our megachurch... Um Yesterday at one o'clock. Walked out. Walked out of whatever box you were in. Right. Nationwide walkout. At the basis of this situation is, are two stories, right? And, and something happened. And uh, how do we listen to those stories? Listeners, we want to help you practice listening. And we want ourselves to practice lis listening. This is something you can't practice enough, to be honest. I, I was a rape crisis counselor when I was in my 20s. And you know, you sit and you listen to the stories and you hear the stories and you still make mistakes in the middle of it. You still inter intervene or there's all these impulses, reflexive impulses. We have to fix it, to change it, to make the person feel better, to make ourselves feel better, to deny that it ever happened, to wish that it happened differently, to wonder what really happened, to all these questions are circling in our mind as we listen. Uh, a lot of times we're not actually listening. We don't even hear what the person is saying because we're too busy thinking. So today we're going to practice listening. Amen. And we have some women who are bravely calling and telling us their stories, um, all kinds of different stories. Um, we think we should probably make a, a regular habit of these story sharing and we can practice listening together. A new kind of call-in show. That's right. We'll evolve into listening. But to listening. be clear, we asked women on very short notice to share their survivor stories. Now we're going to take some calls from some friends and I'm so grateful to them for uh, the short notice and for responding to our plea. And listeners, now what we're going to all do is practice listening. Just listen. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm a, I'm a little nervous. I know. Yeah, understandably. Yes, and we're with you, and we're listening to you. Would you like to share your story with us today? Um, yes. Uh, I have two stories. The first one, um, it was this summer that I was turning seven, 
or maybe I already was seven. I was wearing this yellow jumper and I went with my mom to Barnes and Noble and um, I always go to the kids section and I love those books where you push the buttons, you know, and they make a sound as you're reading the story. So I was sitting on the floor there and pushing the buttons and I looked up um, and a man was masturbating in my face. Mm. And um, I immediately got up and I went over to my mom, who was not that far away. And um, as I was talking to her, I saw the man go to the door and he looked at me and he exited. Mm -hmm. And I told her a man was touching his penis in front of me and she got really upset and yelled at the guard and made a big deal, as I think a lot of people would. and it's, it was so brief and it was such a little thing, it seemed like, but um, it really affected me for years after that. And I couldn't look at books like that. Oh. Um, and it wasn't until college I did like a art project about it because um, it just felt really unfair, you know. And I think after that, I had felt so great and wonderful in my outfit. And I don't know if maybe I blame myself for wearing the outfit or all those sort of ridiculous thoughts, but... So that's my earliest memory. And then the second one, <clears throat> I was in college and I was still grieving my dad's death. Um, I'd gone through a breakup and then I was feeling great. And I went to my ex's friends. Um, he invited me to come out and he's a good friend. And um, there was like music. I remember later, I think I was at his house I had too much to drink because I, I just like remember like waking up and I'm like throwing up in the toilet and some guy is helping me. And then I was like awake and me, me and this guy um, started making out and I was like, wait a minute, this is gross. I just, um, I just threw up and um, my son is right here. Hold on a second. Can you wait a minute in the other room, please? Just a couple more, just one more minute, okay? Just hold on a minute. Um, and I said, well, this is gross. And he's like, he didn't care. And then I said, um, well, come back to my dorm. <laughs> and I found out on the walk through the snow back to my dorm that both of her fathers had died. And I felt immediately connected to this random person back in my dorm room. Um, we had consensual sex, but then he was having sex with me from behind and we were using a condom. But then at one point, I don't know what happened. He said, oh, the condom isn't on. I was like, put it back on. I don't know if he took it off or I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it was really weird. And we were having fun. So I didn't want the fun part to end just because someone did something stupid. And um, I really liked him. And then he left the next day and I was telling people about what happened and I hadn't realized that what had happened was pretty screwed up, you know, that we'd both been drinking and he wasn't wearing a condom. And, um, so I felt really uncomfortable about that. And then I ended up dating this person for the next four years. Um, so that to me has always been like a really hard truth that, there were all these red flags and instead of turning away from them, I went towards them because of my state of mind. And I had been grieving and I grieved for years over my dad's death. And, um, 
So it was like these two moments that felt so brief, but have really affected my life, you know, and it's like, yes, these things could always have been much worse, um, but they were bad enough for me. And um, so um, those are my two stories. And, uh, and um, I've never really shared them publicly like this before. I've told people about them, but not the second one, because um, it's just wading through a lot of um, self-shame and, um, and, and blame and things like that and feeling responsibility for something and also worrying how people might judge me for those decisions, which just feel like, why did you do this? Or why did you continue um, having sex with that person after like that thing happened? That was like, I'm not sure what happened, but I, but at one point he's just like, Oh, I'm not wearing condom. I'm like, why not? Put a, put one on, you know, or it's just like, um, yeah yeah thank you um, so much thank you for your sharing yeah thank you guys brave it's really um that will help other people yeah. okay thank you for talking today and we're with you and really honored to listen to you today okay thank okay. you bye bye take care hi um, hi it's savitri thank you so much for um your willingness and just to let you know what we're doing today we're it's kind of uh we're four or five women are going to tell a story and we're practicing listening and we're asking our listeners to practice listening so we're not interviewing you or or trying to make it you know flesh things out or get more information it's just simply we're listening and we're here supporting and listening thank you so much for doing this i I'm really grateful because I know it's difficult and strange also, and I'm, I really appreciate it. We all do here. So um, when when Savitri says we all do, the we is uh, Killian and I'm I'm Billy. So the three of us here. Hi. Hello, thank you. Would you like to share your story with us? Yeah, um, it's it's really scary and nerve wracking, uh, but I think it's it's something that I haven't shared with a lot of people and. Um, it's important to share. Um, when I was, uh, 21, I was, uh, living in Australia as on a working holiday visa <clears throat> and I, uh, I was date raped and, um, I, I didn't really know what it was at the time. I, Consent, like never really talked about. So, I guess I don't know. I I knew I knew I felt really bad afterwards, but I didn't know um, t- that to call it rape or you know to I don't know bring police or anything into it. Um, I've only really started talking about it in the last couple of years because I started going to therapy and. You know, things started coming up and um uh it's and I haven't really told um it's sort of it's been so long now that I I don't know it feels sort of like there's no point in telling like my family about it because I don't know I just like I don't really want them to worry about me or there's nothing like I've I've already sort of dealt with it on my own and yeah I, I just 
I don't know what else there is to say about it other than that. Um, that's enough. If Thank you. If that's what you want to say. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah, I your being with us today. That says a lot. Thank you for listening. Okay. Take care of yourself. Hello? Uh, hello. Welcome. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Will you share your story with us? Absolutely. So my story um, is from when I was about 25. I was living in the Bay Area in San Francisco. I had a full-time job, and I was leaving it to go work at a camp in, on the East Coast. And in order to do that, they were pretty old school about needing a physical. So I scheduled one. At the time, I did not have whatever, a primary care physician, et cetera. I was 25 and I hardly went to the doctor. I just picked a doctor randomly that was on my insurance. It was in a big hospital complex that was somewhere in lower Pacific Heights, which is where I lived at the time. And I scheduled an appointment. I went in. I made sure my vaccinations were up to date. And I checked all the boxes on the form, which is a lot like the form that you fill out when you're a 12-year-old going to camp. And the you know everything was over. And the doctor, who I had paid no attention to, was just your typical like older man doctor, some guy in his 50s, um, white man, of course. <laughs> the doctor's like, well, have you gotten a pap smear recently? And I was like, oh, I got one last year that's okay thinking like why is this primary care physician offering me a pap smear that's weird anyway and he's like well you know i mean you can do it i was like well normally i get that from a gynecologist and he's like well you really should have one <laughs> and then he closed the door of the examination room and i remember the thing i remember most about the whole incident because it's, it's not you know, there certainly are worse sexual assaults that have happened, and I didn't even necessarily categorize it as that at first. Um, it was more in retrospect that I did, is the sound of the door closing and just feeling like, oh, shit, this is not right. There mm. should be somebody in here. Um, <laughs> but there wasn't. And so he basically did a quote-unquote pap smear with his hand. I don't even remember whether he wore a glove or not. I, I really don't recall. He could have. He could have not have. And um, as he was doing that, um, he started a conversation with me about there being, and this is, this is so embarrassing to me, this is the worst part, there being pieces of, pieces of my hymen left in my vagina or something like that. And at that point, I'd had sex with a lot of people. I was 25. And I just was like, I don't know what the hell he's looking for, but I'm going to try to stay as composed and clinical as I can about this. And just say, like, I think you're mistaken. And, you know, that was it. He got out of my vagina. I don't think I ever got any results of the pap smear. He never did anything like take out his cock or say anything else. Um, but it was a really, like, long, weird incident. And I knew it was wrong. Um, and I was glad to get out of there. And I wish I had remembered where he was practicing or what his name was. Um, I paid, you know, whatever $25 copay I had to pay at the time and never thought about it again until me too. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this because it really did make me think about that and think, wait, that was totally sexual assault. <laughs> you know, I might, it might not have been something that necessarily affected the way I interacted with my sexual partners immediately afterward or for a while, but it was an instance of sexual assault. It was a, a, a clear instance where 
a um, you know a male authority figure was taking advantage of a situation in a way he shouldn't have been, and it was wrong. So that's my story, and thank you for letting me share it because I think there probably are a lot of stories like it mm. and that women dismiss and just don't you know think much of, but they're they're not right. They shouldn't be happening. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. No, no problem. Thank you. I'm happy to. This will help others. Take care. Take care. I'm very grateful to the women who are calling us today. They will remain anonymous. I obviously can't be anonymous because I'm Savitri D. And (laughs) I'm not going to suddenly change my voice and be somebody else. Um, (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) So, uh, you know, Billy... Killian, you're here with me in the room, and my heart is pounding, and I'm nervously fidgeting with a pen. Um, Like many women, I have many stories I could tell today about things that have happened to me or things that have happened to women I know. Yeah, where do you even start? (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell a story about something that happened to me in my early 20s. Um, I was uh, a theater person aspiring playwright and um, I wrote a lot and I wrote all the time and I didn't have any teachers and I'd never had a writing teacher I'd never really taken a writing class and um, I had a mentor who came into my life and um, he was a acclaimed writer you know and he paid a lot of attention to me it was really helpful to me to just have someone to talk to or just an idea of what a writer is what does a writer do all the, how does it work what do you you know um, and he was also wonderful, fun, and a great talker, and interesting, and educated, and um, fun to be with, and, and uh, he just paid a lot of attention to me, and about my writing specifically, and gave me a lot of encouragement, and yeah, and then I remember there was this time where it sort of shifted, and I felt like it was more intimate than I kn- knew what to do. I'd never really had a a male mentor before. I'd really, I'd never had a male figure in my life like that. I didn't, and so that intimacy felt like a little strange, but I also thought, oh, maybe this is just what intimacy feels like. I I don't know, you know, or maybe this is just what a relationship, I don't know. I didn't know, and I was in my 20s. I was a very wild person in my 20s, and I kind of just said yes to everything because I was an adventurous, wild, young woman and I wanted to have lots of experiences. And, and also, w- at the heart of all these stories is that you like that person <laughs> a lot of times, right? You like that person. There's a reason they're your mentor, right? Um, so eventually, it just became obvious that, that this person wanted, I don't know, wanted a kind of physical attention from me and I didn't, you know, I was able to kind of like have a boundary and then I remember one time um, I had moved to New York and and I had dinner with him he was visiting New York and and I had dinner with him and then I don't I don't know what happened exactly again like you don't know exactly how it happens um that you can't say no you don't know why you can't say no in a certain moment necessarily or you don't know if it's because you want something from that person or you don't know if it's because you want to please someone because you're, you know, the kind of person who likes to make everyone happy or you don't know if it's, or I don't know if it's that I just was amazed or felt powerless or uh, confused or 
Well, I do. What I do remember is that I, you know, I remember the disembodiment. I remember the feeling of like leaving my body or leaving the situation, leaving the room um, with my soul, with myself, protecting myself by just disassociating really and then kind of watching the whole thing from the outside um I remember that I just felt really flattened and weird and confused like what had I done you know how did I get myself into this situation how do I get myself out of this situation and it was someone I'd known for so many years and was really so close to and it was just so wrong and I felt so bad about it and I still feel just crap about it. You know, I, I've been listening to all these Me Too stories over the last couple of years thinking, like, was that like that? And you, you sort of don't even acknowledge that that's one of those stories. You know, you don't even let yourself, you don't give yourself that space. Um, but I do know that I was never alone with him ever again after that. I never was alone in a room with him ever again. I only met him in public space. I only met him with other people present. And eventually I just stopped. I stopped knowing him altogether. Um, but I, yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you <laughs> for, for going back to that memory. Thanks uh, for sharing that. Sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. In the middle of the. I'm not laughing because it's funny. In the middle it's just of the like radio show. What do you do? Anyway. I want to thank all those women for their stories. Uh, we invite you to share your story. If you'd like to, you can write to us, revbilly at revbilly.com or savitri at revbilly.com. Uh, we think here at The Earth Wants You that the practice of listening is critical to all change. And we hope to make this a regular part of our show. So please do contact us, revbilly at revbilly.com or savitri at revbilly.com.
So that was a, a sacred harp song, shape note song that we learned from Gregory Corbino at rehearsal, the Stop Shopping Choir, four-part harmony, polyphonic music. Some say the only uh, true polyphonic musical form in the United States. Rehearsal with the Stop Shopping Choir. <laughs> Amazing. Please share your stories with us if you would like to. Um, you can write to us at revbilly at revbilly.com or savitri at revbilly.com. Um, we look forward to hearing from you on, on, on this topic or any topic, really. Please be in touch with us. We want to hear from you here at The Earth Wants You. Um, the Earth Wants You and we want you. Um, <laughs> Amen. Uh, I think it's time for the activist news it's the drums of revolution what you got killian welcome to activist news this week's drums of revolution are the taiko drummers of japan and golly oh gosh what a busy old week it's been for activists left right and center around the globe in nyc on thursday hundreds gathered in union square in solidarity with puerto rico to commemorate a year since hurricane maria and by the way were any of you there because i distinctly remember this being mentioned in last week's activist news if you went great well done jolly old good job if you weren't go next time On Monday, the 24th of September, people rushed to the streets of New York City to protest against the new Department of Homeland Security public charge rule that seeks to bar low-income immigrants if they're likely to use food stamps and public housing. If you claim public benefits, your path to citizenship will be blocked. That is the road the US government is taking right now. New horrific territory in the government's rampage to introduce the most inhumane and immoral immigration policy that can be found on all the lands. This is dangerous stuff, people. Activists blocked traffic in Delancian Orchard and there was a large police presence. I wasn't there, I apologize. Luckily, Savitri was there, however, and she live-streamed the whole damn thing, which you can find on Reverend Billy's Facebook page. In keeping with today's show theme of listening to women, yesterday protesters walked out at 1 o'clock all across the country, including Billy and the rest of the people working in the Park Slope co-op, to state that they believe and are listening to Christian Ford and Deborah Ramirez, who say that Brett Kavanaugh, big old bad Brett, assaulted them. Some brave activists got into the government buildings and chanted down the walls till the bad old boys and girls in blue arrested them. 127 arrests around Washington yesterday. And now I suspect that the Taiko Drummers of Japan has you brimming with energy and vitality and a keen sense of justice and you're exasperated and want to go to an action or a protest and use your body and your voice. Have no fear, Activist News is here to quench that unfathomable and admirable thirst for justice. Again, on Friday the 28th of September, this Friday, NYC shut it down and organized a call to action for Botham Jean, the poor man who was gunned down in his own apartment by Dallas police officer Amber Goiger last Thursday. This again at Union Square at 7pm. Bring a rain jacket and bring a big fat old Taiko drum to make some noise. On October the 1st, October already, my god, our time flies. Hashtag, no business with ICE. By the side of the rink at the Rockefeller Center, people are organizing to target ICE's pillars of support, from banks to tech companies to private prisons, and shutting them down. This is happening all across the country, people. Don't support ICE, don't even think about it. I don't want to do business with ICE. Do you? Then you're listening to the wrong radio show. Protesters will march from the Rockefeller rink to the nearby corporation which is supporting ICE and hold a protest there. Note how I didn't mention the name of the corporation? That, my friends, it's called Tactics, and that, my friends, is all there is from Activist News. We'll be back next week with more Drums of Revolution. Thank you, Killian. Our Activist News 
in late September 2018, Botham Jean being slain in his own home uh, by an officer of the law, and then certainly the Hurricane Maria one year later, disaster, capitalism, and the lying president victimizing that great island. We have so many people from that, from PR in our Stop Shop Inquirer. <laughs> We've had weekly, daily updates from, from a year ago. And now, let's go to the animals. Extinction's got talent. Listeners, today... The bobcat, not strictly endangered, threatened, like all predators, (laughs) except the human. Uh, The bobcat has a spotted coat and unmistakable tufted ears. It's a North American mammal in the cat family, and like all cats, is secretive and hard to spot. With 12 recognized subspecies, bobcats are adoptable predators that live in wooded areas, desert and semi-desert, urban edge and swamplands, and prefer to eat rabbits and hares, though they will hunt anything from insects and small rodents to deer. But ra- rabbits are hares. Aren't they the same thing? No, they're not. What? No, they're not. All my life. Bobcats are territorial and largely solitary, although there's some overlap in their home ranges. I have seen baby bobcats, and they're the cutest creatures on earth. The species still persists in much of its original range, but will inevitably be driven into smaller and smaller corners as human populations expand and development displaces the cat's habitat. Here, the sound of the North American bobcat. I thought you said they were cute. (laughs) (laughs) And they sound really scary. (laughs) You don't think that's cute? (laughs) That's a subjective thing. I I think that's very cute. That's my idea of a cute cat. Go to the Center for Biological Diversity and you can download that bobcat ringtone for yourself. And thank you, CBD, for all your incredible work. Well, Savitri, it's time to say so long for now. A uh, special call out to our, our friends in England. I'd like to say hello to Jess Worth. Uh, Danny and Chris. And, and, and uh, Mel and Kevin. Anthony and Abby. And yeah, some, f- some fracking activists are uh, in, being sentenced today. That's right. They stopped the fracking vehicles for four days. Four-day direct action, they stopped it. And they are being uh, sentenced today, the fracking four. Good luck. Frackaluya. No. They came out wrong. No. No frackaluya. No frackaluya. Frack off. Killian, understand that our English friends are all aghast at what's happened in Ireland and and, uh, what they've done to Ireland. I just want you to know that. You stop uh, fracking trucks for four days. You're honorary Irish people. <laughs> but Ireland mean a lot to them. Ireland uh, is looked up to by the Brits at this point because they uh, they banned fracking. Everyone everyone is welcome on our island at the moment. Doors are open, even to the English. <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> wow. That door could slam shut. <laughs> oh, my at God. At the moment. <laughs> is he serious? <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to uh, add a brief message here at the very end of our listening hour we feel that listening is is something that the uh, in power relationships it's something that the wrong kind of power 
shuts down. Certainly the patriarch, the jealous god, the thrower of lightning bolts, isn't listening. Certainly the white male putatively heterosexual executives of neoliberal corporations and banks, fossil fuel companies, weapons companies, chemical companies, they're not listening. If they listened even a little bit, they would hear the pain and suffering that is being, that is being expressed by the earth, by, especially by women who are the great translators of the mysteries of where we live, this beautiful turning world upon which we live. And so listening is a radical idea. Listening is, a, is, a, is an introduction of, of something that we've seen among some of our most political people. When we go to those political meetings, sometimes there, there needs to be more listening and less shouting. We know that we open our radio show with what sounds like women singing, and they're singing, It's the End of the World. The End of the World is a, a song that was written by a woman, uh, Savitri D., my co-host here. It's women who are being honest about the final days of a kind of life, givers of life, also recognize when that life is endangered. And now, you know, the earth wants you, you know, for today... It feels like the mother earth wants you. The sister earth wants you. And why does the earth want you? The earth wants you because she's listening. Let's take that pause. Let's open our souls. Listen to the earth around us. We'll become more compassionate, more effective, more loving. earth Thank you, Rav. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Please join us again. Please share us with your friends. Spread the word. We rely on word of mouth. And don't forget to contact us. Savitri at RevBilly.com or RevBilly at RevBilly.com. Thanks to our producer, Killian Sunderman. This is The Earth Wants You.